0: Welcome to the TechCube podcast. We've got um, myself, Ben Shinobi. Uh, we have uh, my co-host, Andy Teb. Hey, Andy, Hello. how are you doing?
1: Uh, brilliant, as always.
0: Amazing. <laughs> we have a very, very special guest today. We have Martina, uh, the resident uh, agile coach at ECS. V- very, 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 a lot of experience. So we're very, very happy to have Martina. How are you doing, Martina?
2: Hi. Good. Good. Thank you.
0: Oh, Marti- so Martina, don't just yeah, relax. Don't worry about anything at all. But Martina has <laughs> loads of ex- loads of experience, um, which we want to go into. And I really want to dive into some of your how how you got to where you are today, um, because I think that lends to some of the thoughts that you've had. <clears throat> and I'll tell like a bit of a story before we start off. So when I first when I started ECS. Oh, sorry. When I was at ECS a, a while back. And Martina came in. I lent on Martina um, a tremendous amount when I started my agile journey. And being a scrum master, she was very, very uh, kind and gave me a lot of guidance as to where I wanted to go and how things should be done. And structuring in facilitation, the knowledge that she had through all of the roles that she's done in the past. So, then first of all, starts off. I want to say thank you, Martina, for things that you did to me, helping me on the start of my agile journey. So I really appreciate that. I haven't told you but I want to say thank you for that
2: oh thank you <laughs> Martina's gonna <laughs> she's
0: gonna you can't feel she's gonna blush <laughs> She's gonna. Shrug. Just but no Martina's an amazing person to have um so yeah very good knowledge hence the reason why we wanted it on the podcast so um first of all let's start with this Martina um where did you how did you get into the role of an agile coach what was that journey like for you and and, and starting off and then to like moving into that role hmm.
2: So I came to UK like 20 years ago as a nanny, as an au pair. And uh, the family I lived with uh, was emigrating. And they wanted me, they kind of saw a potential for me to go into like IT business. And they enrolled me into a college to become software engineer. So when they left, I studied, I worked in restaurants, in offices. I used to translate because uh, my second language is Italian. So I used to work for like a a clothing company. I used to work for a sunglass company. I used to be in fashion. And then I finished finally uh, my um, MCP. So finally, and weirdly, I'm actually a .NET developer, uh, an ASP developer for people who don't know.
1: Don't tell anyone, Martina. I'm <laughs> desperately trying to fill darknet positions. If anyone knows that, they're going to have you back out in the field immediately. Hush.
2: Um, <laughs> and then I couldn't get a job uh, because I don't have a university. And a lot of jobs um, were you have to have a computer science degree. Um, and, um, and then I had a friend who was very kind and got me into um, a um, at the time uh, into actually Time Out London as a work experience for five weeks. And I was doing like SQL queries and stuff. And and then they offered me uh, a full-time job. And I worked as a a very short period of time with SQL. And then I got an opportunity to do more like um, like a project manager stuff. But um, for a very short period of time and then the, the whole model of delivery changed, uh, we went into product delivery and they started to recruit for Scrum Masters and there was a very kind soul called Michael at the time who offered to mentor me and kind of sparked up my interest. And so for the past 11 years, I heavily self-study and I I – Experiment and I read a lot. I got to a lot of meetups, and I've really found my kind of like a dream job. I just love it, mm-hmm. and it can, it can be frustrating. But it's I just love working with people and kind of create that autonomy and that well-being and care and grow. So I am very inspired. So, yeah, it's an interesting journey for me for the past 22 years being in UK from au pair to um, an agile coach. Um, and recently I finished barefoot coaching course. So I'm now just about to get accredited into uh, a proper coach. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I so, fascinate myself.
1: fascinate everyone martina so to 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 ben's point about the help you gave him at the beginning of his agile journey do you do you think your mentor Michael is where? Because one of the things I've noticed is, get, despite the amount of things that you have to do and that you have on in the company, one of the characteristics of your style of doing your role as an in sort of an agile coach, an internal agile coach within ECS. I, I know you do some work with clients, but predominantly you're you're there and you support us. I just I, I'm always kind of amazed at the generosity you show with your time. So you're, you're you're willing to let people, you don't kind of make the conversations abrupt, you let them explore themes, you talk around that, and you you really are very generous with your time. Do you think that style of your coaching comes from your mentor or just your experience and what's worked best for you? Where, where do you think that style comes from? It's
2: um, a good question. I think it's... I, I believe that if someone has time to invest into another person and listen and observe and point people in directions and give people choice, mm-hmm. um, it, it can really change someone's life like it has changed mine because mm. someone had a little bit of time to sit down with me. And I, and I remember he, I used to ask questions and he would be like, can you go and watch this video on YouTube? and then ask me questions. So he, he was kind of like, don't come out and just ask empty questions. You yeah. need to go and do your research. And it always stuck in my head that before I go and ask a question, I should do my own research. So it's kind of, I, I. that's how my self-study like super increased because I thought before I go and speak to anyone, <laughs> I'll, do, yeah. I'll, do my, I'll do my own, I digest the information and stuff. But yeah, I, I really do believe if you have time to invest, and listen to people and spend that little bit of time with them in their day, I think Mm. it makes a really big difference.
1: It does, it really does. You see that in a lot of the people who interact with you um, within the company. You know, one of the things that people often talk about is that you've always got time for those discussions i think that's one of the things that makes you very strong as a mental health first aider as well which is Mm -hmm. one of the many hats you wear within ecs but exactly yeah (laughs) but um but but no right right so that's interesting and i I think that's a fair point as well because i think you know google exists so that's a good place to go and look for your first answer to your question right but Mm. i think i think a lot of people are very nervous about coming up to a practitioner like yourself and sort of even if they've done the google study and and asking the wrong thing in massive air quotes and you're always very good at letting people explore those themes consider their perspective and you know yeah i I don't. certainly in the conversations i've had with you you've never kind of gone oh andy you're wrong it's always much more um (laughs) much more have you considered it from this perspective or what about this Mm -hmm. or let me tell you this anecdote and you're like uh, yeah, and it, it kind of it's much more of a conversation, a dialogue, and it allows you to explore those themes. I think that it makes for a very effective, um, so it's almost mm-hmm. more of a mentoring experience than a coaching experience, because mm-hmm. you don't really shake your finger at people, which you'll probably have to do more now that you're a coach. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> interesting I- to hear
2: I used to be like that when I was uh, when I started mm. uh, when I've done uh, when I firstly got my first job as a scrum master I was very much no 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 this is what the scrum guide says and yeah. this is what the ceremonies are and I was like I used to be really preoccupied how long the stand-up was and mm. it was like I was really anchoring myself like oh the stand-up was like 17 minutes and it should be 15 minutes and I gave a lot of thoughts on the framework itself and I didn't think that this is about people and you can't, if you want to introduce the framework, you need to explain what it is about and is there something what people want to do? And I think I used to, in the beginning, I was very heavily focused. It's all about the framework and it was all about, well, well, it says this and this is what we should do without understanding myself, actually, what this ceremony is. About. And now I've reached the point that I'm very... You know, do you want to work like that? Is this will you? You know, I'll be here and support you. You choose how you want to work, and let's try it out. And if it doesn't work, we'll we'll come up with something else. Uh, But yeah, my beginnings were very much like with the finger. Is this wrong?
0: It's a a very (laughs) very good point because I think a lot of either agile. People that count against Agile, especially specifically when Mm -hmm. it was my turn to try and get into being a Scrum master, you heavily rely on the the research that you do. So you you do maybe a, um, you know, uh, Scrum.org or Scrum Alliance certification. And then you're basically certified as say certified in, in quotes as a Scrum Master, because um, mm-hmm. you have a certificate. You've learned the basics of being that, but it's all textbook. You have no experience to lean on. Mm-hmm. So then, what happens is, you, as you said, you're you're heavily reliant on that guide and the Scrum Manifest in order for, to guide you on how things are done. Um, what's uh, how how did that sort of like shape to where you are now? And 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 what what was what did that experience teach you about yourself?
2: It taught me that I need to learn to let go, and that it wasn't about me, because in the role of uh, agile coach, scrum masters, or agile practitioner, it's not really about you. It's about the people you are with, the team, the group of people, the individuals. You. It's almost like. I'm not important because I'm not doing the work, and and that's what I've learned through years. And I used to get frustrated, and you know sometimes you do fall out with the team, and uh, I I couldn't handle feedback because the feedback wasn't really given to me in constructive way, and I learned bad habits uh, of providing feedback as well. And I, I, because I'm I, I can be quite direct, and I didn't see that my actions would upset people. And I used to, and then I kind of started to um, pick, unpick those things. What it is that I'm getting upset about, and why am I so controlling over certain things, and why is this? And and then I reached. You know, it took quite a few years for me to to kind of start reflecting and raising my own self-awareness and be like, actually, so I now, uh, as you know, Ben, um, uh, we, we created this, uh, how to provide effective feedback. And it's about when you provide feedback, you want to improve someone. And it's coming from a good place. While, while I was working in no places has ever someone sat down with me and, and taught me how to provide feedback, nor ever people... Have taken the time to explain that uh, what is the feedback about, and you know what does feedback do? Finally, because in a scrum you always provide feedback, early feedback to customer, but you don't think about yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've learned a lot. I mean, there's still a you know, there's still a way to go, but I'm very aware and uh, and kindness. I, I'm I think kindness something which is really important because we all have our own lives and our own work faces and, you know, home faces, and you don't know what's happening in people's lives, so you can't take things personally. Um, but, yeah.
1: It's interesting, though, Martin, because a lot of what you're talking about is things that really helped you in your career. They're not necessarily to do with Agile, right? I mean, if you would say, you know, I, I would, I would happily – recommend that workplaces would be much better if people were more thoughtful kind and reflected Mm. more you know especially managers I think having a reflective practice where you think about why you made the decisions you did and were they the right decisions did you make the right decision but your working out was wrong and that whole thing that whole appreciation that despite the fact that my mother always told me differently it's not actually always about me you know, it's it's more of a, you know, other people have other things going on. Um, so it's like, you know, that, that appreciation for the world is a broader place and, and be kind. These are all good qualities that we should encourage more in the workplace. And I'm I, I, it's funny because you've kind of seen it tuck in behind the Agile agenda. Mm. Um, it's much more common in the workplace now, right, than it ever was. Mm. Um And it's always a a question for me. Do those two things go hand in hand or is one cause the other or, you know, smaller, more intimate teams and all that? Does it become more pressing or is it just a coincidence? It's it's interesting. I think I think they're both welcome. But a lot of those qualities you talk about, just everyone could benefit from whether they're agile practitioners or not. You Mm. know, but yeah, very interesting
0: definitely agree you also picked up on something that you said is um it is not about you and i have had to learn that quite not the hard way but i've had to learn that because sometimes uh, very early on you take things very personally mm-hmm. you take mm-hmm. things and you say oh we're not doing the scrum um we're not doing a stand up correctly or it's taking too long or someone's late for a stand up or someone doesn't show up and you think this is my meeting this is the only meeting i have for today with my whole team why are you not attending be on time, stick to the rules and do it properly. At the very beginning of my career, it was very, very hard for me to not take that personally because you're trying so hard. You're doing the research for retrospectives before that. You're setting up all of these great things. remember the first retro or facilitation that I did with Martina during um, like knowledge week at ECS was... Yeah. Um, Losing the Lego, and we were actually making a, a like a conveyor belt of um, of di- building the actual Lego pieces, and you were throwing different things. So, okay, so you're now a a um, quality check. You are QA, and you have to make sure that the pieces that are built are are um, are up to standard based on the requirements that we've defined at the very beginning. And that was a brilliant thing. So, if you spent time, we we planned that for a few days before. If you mm. spent time doing that. And then someone either doesn't show up or shows or is late to it. You're like, come on. But then you don't understand what's going on in their personal life or what they're doing or developers are developers and they're very tunnel focused. And when they get into that rabbit hole of finding something, it's very hard to pull them out. So yeah. It's
1: a difficult balance balance though, isn't it? Because I, I, you know, I've experienced that in my own career, like um, being that sort of, uh, instinctively angry or emotional, particularly around elements of my own practice that I'm insecure about. But then there is a point at which you kind of want to go, um, come on, you need to respect the team, you need to respect the session, and it's striking that balance. And I guess it goes back to your point, Martina, about feedback in a constructive manner that's kind of collaborative, non-threatening. You know, it's like, how do you make the point rather than just being super chill, um, but not be instinctively mm-hmm angry um, which is kind of like my default position in life is to just be furious a lot of the time and have to tamp that down <laughs>
2: the
1: happiest, happiest guy on
0: the podcast is definitely not angry it's,
1: all a, it's all a facade It's <laughs> there's a stress ball going 10 to the dozen off that no I'm joking. I'm joking I'm joking but yeah no it is difficult to strike that balance a lot of what you guys do in your practice seems to be about striking that balance for me uh, mm-hmm. about navigating those complexities around like you say people it's just people right and people are messy sometimes
2: mm. no. it's uh, I remember that I couldn't We there was a time when I really clashed with few people uh, because we didn't see eye to eye and mm. I couldn't see past I was I thought I was right I had the right reasons and the other person thought exactly the same and uh, and then I did a research because I was like, there must be another way. And I found this uh, course called uh, Nonviolent Communication, which they kind of run you through how can you, in my, in my words, how can you, like, in a kind way, ask a person to reflect on the situation and find a solution. Mm. And, it was, it, and to me that was very helpful because I have to say, as a woman working in technology, It's really difficult, especially if you're not technical. Mm. And you're always, you tend to be seen as an admin, as a coordinator, as a project manager, as um, you're seen as, I used to be called a mother of the team. I was, um, they don't, almost like you you aren't valued for what you are there. So it's really, you become very, um, you kind of carry that as well with you. So oh. things are those little things can be even bigger because you're like yeah because you kind of think oh yeah I'm not technical so therefore I got this comment or because I'm a woman you get this comment. So it's really difficult to get on the same level as a as a as an engineer um, mm. who's who's been overseen in the co- previous company as more valuable than an agile coach, mm. and because they develop software. And we can sell this software yeah. to customers while an agile coach doesn't develop software, does it? So it's always some companies see it as tomorrow. So I think I've carried a lot of chips on my shoulder well, for many years. Well, <laughs> well, why. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but uh, I mean, I
1: think I think IT is an interesting industry. right? I mean, I think STEM mm-hmm. generally struggles, but I think IT particularly And I have my own theories about why this is, you know, and I I, when I started in IT, like at the back end of the 90s, uh, it was very much a, a skills based job. And to your point around degrees. Right. Most of the cohort that I came up with, none of us should ever have been professionals. Right. We were the kinds of guys who like 30 years before would have gone to trade school, become electricians, that kind of thing. Uh, which is great you know and a very skilled job but we were being thrust into management positions which we had no training for and what have you and with that comes a certain style of misogyny and it used to be a classic joke that you could be anything you wanted in an IT just not a woman and and that's kind of the work that we've had to go on over the last sort of 30 40 years to address that and it's it's an interesting industry because I think Demographics are a challenge in a lot of industries, but we kind of go for the most traditional one around gender diversity. And I, I think the the change in IT over the last 10 years in addressing that has been great, but it's still very much there. And it's and it's something we as senior people, I mean, everyone on this call is fairly senior in, the organi- in our respective organizations. And we, you know, it's incumbent on us to kind of challenge that behavior. I think the new cohort coming through, very good. It's kind of that middle management layer. It's our peers that need to do more work on that. And I'm yeah. constantly, I've always constantly been amazed at the sheer patience of my female colleagues in not halfway through a meeting deciding to glass someone because, you know, it, <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so difficult to, uh, to see some of those behaviors, um, especially when it's combined with people being defensive. Yeah. Um, which they often are in the Agile conversation. I was when it first came up. I remember, you know, in my in my career, I was sort of, you know, big, important program manager, wandering around in a very traditional MSP model. You know, I used to count, I found it more meaningful to think of my budgets in terms of hospitals. I was like, you can build a hospital for 200 million. So this project is two and a half hospitals. And that is how I thought of it, because then the money was much more real. And yeah. I'd be sat there going, you can't do Agile for that, right? Agile's for small bits of code and things, right? I'm doing this huge infrastructure-y thing. And and I I think I wasn't massively defensive, but I was certainly very sceptical when Agile started turning up on the scene. I was kind of sat there with my, I have a tendency to have a stupid little smirk for a grin when people are talking to me. And it took a while for the Agile practitioners that were working with me to to kind of, make me see that perspective that that maybe it could be something different now god knows what that would have been like if you were kind of like a woman who is new to the company and you're dealing with someone like me who's got an ego so big it's got smaller egos revolving around it you know so you know that that must have been incredibly challenging when you're going to companies and getting people to understand that yeah all right this person creates the product we ship they're valuable but doing what you do, you're like a value multiplier. One of the things you do is kind of make the component parts of the team, you know, more valuable as a sum. You know, you you, you <laughs> there is a much easier phrase for that in terms of some of the parts. But anyway, but the, um, you know, you, you're a value multiplier for those people who create value. And, and getting companies to understand that, very difficult, certainly at the yep. beginning. I mean, I think that's less of a problem now. You or right? Okay, you yeah, think things well, are
2: yeah, 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 things are definitely changed. Um, but I think, um, as you mentioned before, that when I talked about, I talked about more like kindness in mm. general, my life. But I think what Agile helped me with is that you have certain responsibility for your own work, you have yeah. accountability, you have, um, so it gives you like you own. Your, your work, what mm-hmm. you do, and it gives you more sense of uh, achievement. You get a more sense of belonging. You get a bigger sense of, so I think going into Agile and working like this for 11 years now, it has made a massive difference to me as a person because it's, it just gives you this kind of autonomy over your own work. Yep. There isn't someone telling you every day what you need to do and take that power away from you. You actually plan your day. You So my days are planned. I, I discuss with my line manager, you know, this is what's coming up for me. Mm. Um, and sometimes I ask, what do you think my priority should be? But mm. I own that work. I own that backlog of my stuff, which is That's just very so... Good,
0: hmm. very good way of putting it. I, I struggled with that at the beginning. Sorry, carry on.
2: <laughs> no, no, go on.
0: I was just going to say, yeah, I, I struggled with that at the very beginning, being able to manage your own workload and plan out your days. That's something I found sometimes like, Oh, I don't know really what to do with myself, but, um, you know, you get used to that. And there was a part of me, that that was one of the first questions I asked in a meetup that we had, where we had, it wasn't scrum scrums. It was just like a meetup that we had with in, in the office. And I was like, what do, what do scrum masters and agile coaches do during the day? Like what, what, what do you do to fill your time? And it can, people are honest, self learning, you're always trying to learn new things, trying to make yourself better, planning out for the next ceremony, identifying ways in which people can improve, identifying things that you can talk to, having one to ones with the people in your team. Those are all things that are going to take up parts of or all of your day and week and now it's at a point where I don't even have enough time in the day to do everything that needs to be done in order for me to get to where our team needs to go but I think there was a there's something else you picked up on <clears throat> Andy, when you said coming into the, and your first sort of like experience with Agile in the beginning when it was coming into the the IT industry. And I think it's very important for us to understand sort of like where this this phenomenon came from. So where did Agile come from? Um, you know, we talked offline, not Toshiba, Toyota, <laughs> where it came from. But yeah, Martino, do you, are you happy to sort of like explain sort of like the history of your experience of where where Agile came from and, and then sort of like how, how you came about it first of all, like what was it like? So that, um, the, the, the history of Agile kind of uh, in that respect.
2: So um, it kind of started in around 2001 um, and it was a, a group of um, engineers got together in, in Utah uh, to discuss um, better ways of delivering software and uh, this is how agile was born um, and the the four main values which carry agile today um, and the the discussion was about because the the prince 2 and a certain other methodology was seen as a very hard heavy frameworks um, and they didn't Give, as Andy as mentioned before you did not until the end what was delivered to customer and um, yeah so it's terrifying
1: yeah it's terrifying <laughs> just sat there going have i done the right <clears> thing <throat> i set this super tanker off in the right direction have i done the wrong thing because i'm mm-hmm. going to be very scared if i have yeah, yeah 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 it's really interesting you say that though martin because i think you know you kind of go to like business school and there's like there's always this um tendency to sort of overcomplicate things like there's there's like an archaeology to methodologies like uh they they almost talk people almost talk about it like they do the sort of evolution of the greek language in ancient times you know linear a linear b because i i would agree with you that that you know publishing of like the agile manifesto was kind of where agile became real for our uh business then guys we'll talk about, oh, well, you could see traits of it in, you know, like Toyota and TQM and all that sort of stuff. But I think when Agile became real for us really was that that publication of the Agile Manifesto, because that's when it became IT specific. That's when it was something that was more meaningful for us. And I think if you're going to go down that argument of sort of talking about what Japanese firms were doing with just-in-time, then you might as well be talking about, you know, good old-fashioned traditional management theory about delegated decision making <coughs> for subjective decisions and all that kind of stuff. And it goes all the way back. But I think that moment, it's kind of a real watershed for us. And it was so crisp and clear. I remember being asked to read it and thinking, I haven't got the time to read this. And it's like, it's one page. And you're like, well, yeah. everyone can read that, right? <laughs> yeah. <know>? It's, it's <laughs> not horrific. It's And it is so meaningful and it resonates with anyone who's worked in IT. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that was that was a very defining moment. Um, mm. But when you read it, first of all, the Agile Manifesto, Martina, what was sort of like your feedback? What was your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, was um, it a lightning bolt? Was it a lightning bolt, or was it more a dawn <laughs> realization? Yeah.
2: So when I read, when I read, when I look at it, it to me, that there's more focus on people itself, and there's more people. Is there's a big focus on actually having a working software. Mm. And it kinda of, when you think how that more heavier methodologies is all about the contracts and planning for many, many months and years mm. and 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 this seems so much e- easier and lighter, even mm-hmm. though I'm I'm not I'm talking from an agile coaching perspective rather than an engineering perspective because I'm sure there's there could be two different points of view. Um, but it, it seems like he's focusing on you know, responding to change, is, is to get that feedback if, uh, if something isn't quite right, okay, let's, mm. let's just stop and reassess. Is it worth doing it? And it's, it seems a lot more interactive. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of the thoughts. Um, even up to this day, I, when people read Aja Manifesto, what really people get stuck on is the documentation part. Um, which is the second value which is working software over comprehensive documentation. Everywhere I
1: work. Are you are you (laughs) saying engineers don't like documenting things? I'm
2: (laughs) sure
0: (laughs) (laughs) why 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 did why would people get stuck on that part, Martina?
2: Because in the beginning when I started, there was this impression, well, in a company I work for, that we don't need to do documentation? So there was any documentation, and you got people leave, and no one knew what they needed to do. There were uh, things delivered, but there wasn't any documentation what was delivered. The tickets uh, or user stories didn't have much information, and there was this kind of. At some, I remember there were times where people thought, "Oh, we don't need to do documentation; mm. it's not, it's not needed." But it's not that. That's not what manifesto says. You still right. should have some documentation. It's just depending what it is about, what, what value does it bring. But even now, to this day, I always, when I train, when I run workshops on basics of um, Agile and I run people through manifesto, there's always questions about the documentation part. And <laughs> I find it very fascinating that people really, and even when you go to planning sessions with the newly formed teams, th- there's always documentation question. Um, and it seems to always be a bit like, and clear what to do with documentation but right. what
1: can it does you do? say it does say <laughs> over it doesn't say mm. instead of you know yeah. It's, it's, and yeah it's, but who knew people take what they want from a from something that someone else has written down that you th- would have thought was fairly clear you know like see but, all discussions relating to the second amendment in America, you know, it's like, but yeah. it's like people will just take from it what they want. But yeah, yeah, it's, that's
0: um, a, but that's a very good point, Andy, because then the next thing is when the, the first time you run into someone that is doing the same role as you, you know, doctors run into doctors and or mathematicians run into mathematicians and there's almost like law, like the human body isn't going to change. So things are going to stay the same. So as a doctor, you can pretty much say that they're going to be people that are going to be a bit more skilled with, with doing you know specific surgery types, but, generally even midwifery and i'm taking a big punt in here saying there are basics of, of midwifery or doc being a doctor that everyone should know you go to school for x amount of years you understand what the human body does you can help with things with the agile manifesto the interpretation of how someone should do it or they implement it is down to the individual so when you run into someone that is a scrum master, or an agile coach, their interpretation of what is in the manifesto might be completely different to yours. And that could provide some confusion. So how, how did you deal with that, Martina? Or did you, have you ever encountered that where sort of like the interpretation of the agile manifesto is completely different from someone else who has been practicing for many, many years or the same amount of time as you and did that influence you at all?
2: Um, I mean, it's quite, it can be quite, um, it's very subjective because everyone has their own way of translating and talking about it. Um, In regards to me, I never really had that many discussion about Agile Manifesto itself. There's a lot of discussions of more about how Scrum framework is is, um, viewed. Mm -hmm. Um, There's always a lot of discussions about the roles. There's the most, uh, quite a lot of confu- like I would say the most confusing role bit of a product owner, because a lot of businesses have product managers or this different kind of roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And um, you, I mean, from my own experience, there's always a confusion what it is, you know, does, I remember in one company at work, we have the big debate should the product owner sit with the team or not? Because the product owner sat on the other side of the building, right? And it was we use for some reason we spent a lot of time discussing because again we were like well, in Scrum says yeah, a product mm. owner should be part of the team, <laughs> so therefore they need to sit next to the so it was a lot of like when I think back we had so many we wasted a lot of time on things like that because you it's all about finding a way what works for you and how. How it, how it is, but I never, there are a lot of debates, uh, Ben, about in general, about Agile. Yeah. I'm one of those persons who I just listen. I don't get that much involved, um, but I like to listen to all people, facts and figures, and then make my own opinion what I take out of it because um, yeah. uh, it can cause uh, <laughs> a lot of upset
0: and frustration. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> exactly <laughs> I'm I'm the same. I like to listen, sit back, listen to what is going mm. on, uh, and view view what the landscape of everything, and then like mm. you, make my own decision. I might take some pieces of what you said, but I will mm. definitely view everything and then and make my own informed decision from there. Ah, well,
1: <laughs> as a as a white guy in my forties, I'm always reticent to give my opinion on things. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know I mean? it's um it's it, it is interesting though isn't it because there is that it's sometimes i think it's viewed as a an issue with agile, but it's actually an issue with everything is that dogmatism that people sometimes show like there is one way to do this and and it's it, it is a human failing isn't it where people confuse their subjective opinion for an objective fact and you're like, no, no, these are two different things. This is an abstract concept. It's not a noun. We can have that discussion. We, we, we should acknowledge going back to your point originally, Martin, about other people, different perspectives. That other people will approach this with different perspectives. And it, it will yeah. I mean, if you were just to look at like the, you know, that g- going back to that comment around um, code over documentation, there's that point around you know prioritizing the code. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do a full set of release notes for everything in Dev. But there is going to be a point, like, do we publish working code and maybe do a small pilot with that release note? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, probably we all agree it needs to be done before mass, but should we take it into prod? And you, you get into these conversations like, well, should we have the release notes before we go into formal UAT? And at that point, you can you can have that conversation about what is best, what is useful, you know, what, what's going to offer us the best value. But people will be like, nope. No documentation required, and it's and they take these very dogmatic positions, like. Mm. Um, but you you see that in old methodologies as well, like you know, Prince. Prince, I, you know, I go around getting methodology badges. Certainly, when I was a consultant, like they were candy because that was you know like, put me on the course, done it, top draw, and um, you know <laughs> you'd um, you know you do things like DSDM, Agile, MSP, all that. Prince is I think wonderfully flexible providing you're a flexible person you know I mean there is that real emphasis like you say on contracts and commercials and it's I think people forget it's like a sort of local government standard and it was it was you know used very often for like constructing buildings but you know where maybe some of that's important and it's much more outsourced but you know they they drum into you just use what's in the toolbox use what you need <laughs> but you, you don't have to use it all yeah. and then you'd start in companies that are like yeah yeah we use prints and you will produce all these artifacts and you're like yeah. that's great. what yeah. you know that's crazy not even the instructor would tell you that and um and you'd, you'd meet genuine practitioners who were like yeah no it's uh you, you've got to produce all of it. And and the all the real gotcha was always, can you show me an initiation document that was written at the start of a project rather than just at the end? No, then you're not quite as dogmatic as you're pretending to be, are you? <laughs> I, I used to remember on my program, uh, my project managers would send out initiation documents to stakeholders and they'd say, well, this is very light compared to the PIDs that we normally see. And I'd have to say, well, yes, because unlike those, this has been written at the beginning where we don't know
0: anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> the, the, the pids you normally see are written at the same time as the closure report, if you get a closure mm. report, right? You know, it's always one of those things. But it's you know, it's it's just people are very dogmatic about things. And and I mm. think in Agile, because it was so new and so misunderstood and open to interpretation, which I think is one of its strengths. Um people do get into these very bouldering on religious arguments about things. And you're like, no, no, no. It's a discussion between colleagues who respect each other, right, about what is best to do. And it's it's just, a, it, it's ama- it's been amazing to watch the sort of evolution of it in the workplace. And now that it's much more standard and much more the way to go, you can really start to see some of the benefits, because I think some of that heat and temperature has come out. I'm sure in your role, though, Martin, you still... You still encounter people who are very strident in their views about it, but it seems to be less of an issue for me nowadays. But
2: yes, daily. Um, but I've, I've, but I've, <laughs> that I've, was I've, very emphatic. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> You're just sitting there dropping
1: the
2: Yeah, yeah. As I said, it's like I've learned to like literally let go. I don't. It mm. doesn't really. I don't. I notice it. It's there, um, but again. You, every company is different mm. and every team or group of people, business you work with, they are within a system and it's what is the system around it influences the work and delivery and human behaviours. And it's not just about having that yeah, one would. person who has a yeah. different a There's a, there's a system yeah. you are within. And yeah. with this, yes, I had to... Because I came from product companies always mm-hmm. and media companies into like a consultancy. Yeah. Um. I learned that when we put people on site, they don't sometimes have a uh, opportunity to become a proper team. Yeah. So you can't say, okay, we send this group of people or team on on the on the on the, on the, on the site and say, okay, we'll do a proper Scrum. Well. <laughs> You need to build up to that point, and sometimes yeah. there isn't that time. So you need to work with it. Okay, mm. we, how can we prep this team better? How can we make sure that we understand who the stakeholders are? How do we understand how the team will work together? You know, what, how, you know, mm. what tools they are going to be using uh, and going working into remote mode fully with COVID? Um, he actually taught us that we can, we are fine okay. Yeah. We can work remotely. I remember when I started firstly as a Scrum Master, the thought of a Scrum Master to work remotely with the team was frowned upon and it was yeah. misunderstood. And everyone said, oh, you know, how can you just sit at home and work with the team uh, in, in another country? It was really not valued and no one was very interested into such jobs. And now yeah. I see myself all these years later be I'm quite happily sitting at home and work with the team remotely but it's all about <laughs> yes. it's all about evolution and adopting yourself to the change around you mm. and adopting and responding and you know um things do change and it's okay yeah I don't change think it's is uh, okay
1: yeah, yeah yeah definitely I, I don't think it's a necessarily an agile thing but I think there was that um move in the last few years to everyone has to be co-located.
0: And don't get me wrong,
1: I think having that option is great, but I think sometimes people don't think about how exclusionary that was. So I used to um I mean this is a terrible thing to admit, but I used to pick up what relatively cheap staff because I'd have payment caps for contractors. And I could get cheap staff because I was willing to say to someone, if you need to work from home all the time because you've got childcare responsibilities fine by me and i was the only job they could get so i'd get brilliant caliber employees for like the amount that i had in budget and stuff and and the whole move towards everyone has to be co-located i was like there's whole swathes of people i wouldn't have been able to employ under that kind of model um you know and i think i think to some extent like you're saying it's 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 a well-worn trope nowadays but the the pandemic has kind of reset our expectations around that I think what i found really interesting and, and and the kind of thing that people don't necessarily consider in your role and the practical consequences it has is the i remember when you put out very early those remote onboarding slides hmm. um that were really useful and almost things we should have been doing from day one and they were almost like a checklist of activities and it was funny because i'd you know for example always made a point of doing a a quick handover with teams where i'd sold a deal i would sit there and go ask me anything you know so everyone's really clear about what's going on but then there were things in there about like making sure everyone's onboarded to the collaboration tools this is almost as important as making sure they're on like github and stuff and checking in with them after the fact and you kind of like Yes, I have been rubbish at that for all my engagements, not just <laughs> not, not just onboarding, but it's like, I've done the handover meeting, I've done an ask me anything, and therefore my job is done, disappear over the horizon. It's like, no, it would have been good to check back and stuff. And it's a, those kinds of practical tools, you know, things like checklists, things, the prompts to make you think and stop and reflect. I, I think those are really useful kind of concrete things that you turn out that help improve our teams. Because um, it's really easy to assume you understand it all, and yeah, I've done this for years. Maybe you've been doing it wrong. That's mm. an uncomfortable thing to think about.
0: <laughs> you know? oh, yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> it's like oops. <laughs> you know? So Which... yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's been incredibly interesting working with teams that have been guided and influenced by you, particularly during the pandemic.
0: Doing an amazing job, Martina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One, one of the things you. I wanted. One of the things I also wanted to check up on and just see to pull that round off this this session of one of many is sort of like the important aspects of agile, maybe for a um, beginning. Uh, either Scrum Master or Agile Coach that you feel that they should consider? So what are the important aspects that a Scrum Master or... So I'm starting off new, I've only been doing the Scrum Master stuff for a number of years. What are some of the important things that you would give me advice on that I should concentrate on to make me successful later on? To be you, Martina, what would you say? (laughs) Um,
2: So I would say to... It's, it's at the end of the day, it's all about people you work with. It's not about a tool or a framework or yeah. it's about people. Um And I would also advise to, you know, if scrum is something you wanted to do to read the scrum guide, like digest it in the way is the best digestible for you. Um, and then join various like meetup groups um, to understand other people's views and how other companies operate, uh, watch uh, YouTube videos, um, and also learn or research, look into um, different like techniques of like powerful questioning, ask the right question. Uh, I think that's really important to understand um, and, and learn about those questions which are non-judgmental, which are open, which give people time to digest and think about and answer. It's about active listening. It's about giving space to people to talk. Um, so I think I will kind of, it's not just about Scrum Guide, it's not just about Agile values. If you want to be in Agile world um, it's about understanding people's behaviors and what makes them think. So I've um, mm-hmm. I've done some learning on like transactional analysis and different ego sets. And, you know, you kind of do there's other things around Agile, mm-hmm. but I think from the beginning, for the beginning beginners, I would suggest read the Scrum Guide, you know, join various groups um, or meet-up groups, um, See what suits you and what you are interested in because there's loads out there and some can be quite wasteful, but it's okay. You know, you work out yourself what works for you or not. And then it's about people, it's about behaviors, it's about observation. It's about, and it's not about you at all. Sorry, I said a lot of stuff.
0: No, because that kind of like will build up into our next episode where we talk about psychology mm. and um, how to better yourself mm. to understand sort of like the signs of how people may be moving and why they're they're acting certain ways and better ways to serve them that will really benefit the team. You said people quite a substantial amount during this episode. So it's obviously that is the most important thing. And I think people need to understand that, that when you're getting into this role, um, you are a it, the underlying thing is a servant leader you are serving the team to be able to help them achieve a goal and that's the underlying um, factor um, around it so I think that's really really good and I, and I appreciate that feedback um, I think there um, was a super useful thing that um,
1: Martina said there as well about when you go to those meetups because like if you go on meetup.com and go agile the phone His book lights. will come back, right? Yeah. <laughs> and and um and and you're right, like some 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 of them you might consider wasteful or not particularly useful or productive for you. But I think that there is value for your practice in going and attending that and deciding it's not useful for you but then thinking about why did I not find that useful? What have I learned from it? You know, like what yeah. behaviors can I spot? I and mean, that, that whole reflection element that you were talking about, it's like, even if you, you know, if you go to a meetup or you attend a discussion and you feel that it wasn't useful, I don't think that's a negative. It's another opportunity to start mm. reflect, and Why didn't I find it useful? And you still get something out of it. The problem is if you keep going for six months, <laughs> <you> know, then, <laughs> then it's not so great. But, but all of that, because so much of what you do seems to be around, um, you know, making that time say, well, you know, I have to listen more effectively. Therefore, I will explore active listening. Well, for me, when I would have a technical problem, I'd Google get the answer and implement on my way. For you, where you have a challenge given what you do and to your point, Ben, about how much time it takes to prepare and learn around these things. I've got a challenge or I've got a question. I will go and learn about this entirely different framework for doing something that is not yep. a quick thing to research absorb no. take on board and implement yeah um but it but it is that continuous curiosity uh i think is what makes you guys really good uh sort of scrum masters and Agile coaches not that idea that i understand it and i'm away to basis yeah
0: no yeah definitely <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's uh, so well I'll, I'll tell you a little secret what helped me when i started as a scrum master I heavily went to DevOps meetups.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. To understand Forget the that. personalities and the ways involved.
2: I, yeah. So I could given a, a group of people who were DevOps engineers and um, and the DBAs, and I had to understand what, what they were doing. Yeah. They weren't even DevOps engineers as in they didn't have the title, but we were, as a business, we wanted to do more DevOps. And yeah. So I I I just went to lots of DevOps meetups and I remember there used to be this big meetup at the train line, uh, DevOps yeah. meetup. There used to be like 300 people registered and I went a few times and I remember there was about, I counted, about 106 men and there were two women and I was a scrum master at the time and this other uh, woman was... Um, I think in recruitment.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: From train line probably. Ones off
1: around the yeah. Herd. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: and I was just so fascinated how there just wasn't any women. And it was very interesting to me to just observe like I remember they were talking how they do retrospective every week and their retrospective was um twenty minutes to half an hour long and I couldn't get my head around i was like, how can your retrospective be so short?
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Um, and they were doing it, and you know, it's just to try to understand what's, you know, what's the format, what value does it bring to them. And but I used to go to different. I used to go to yeah. like a lot of um. Kind of like uh, women in tech meetups, or mm-hmm. I, I made sure that they weren't just heavily Scrum, or Agile or uh, I went to quite a few on Kanban and yeah so you you it's good to mix and match because mm-hmm. sometimes it, it can be quite polarized view of certain things yeah 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 um but a massive benefit I mean I know so many wonderful people mm-hmm. uh for quite a few years now and it's such a beautiful community yeah um and I think but yeah just it's a, it's just experiment go wild to speak random meetups and just to got, them
1: i've just got this image of you going to that devops <laughs> meetup like david attenborough observing them in their natural <laughs> habitat like, oh, oh oh, they're going to the watering hole and and the recruiters picked off the, and weakest the, member am- of the herd. Yeah. yeah
2: and the amount of beers they've ordered yeah. Yeah. they were stuck up to the ceiling what mm. boxes and boxes of beers and i I was like, wow, I've never seen anything like it in my life. It was quite a few years ago. Um, But that's how I, and I really love DevOps. I love everything Mm. about it. And uh, that's what really, like, that's how I got attracted to ECS because when I got contacted and he said DevOps Consultants, I was like, ooh, DevOps, tell me more, (laughs) Stephen. And then you
1: came and and saw the panda at the playground.
2: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, amazing
0: so that yeah that will definitely be part of the next episode where we talk about the psychology of of um of of agile and scrum um, but martina i really really thank you for sharing all of that knowledge so, so interesting i, I was yeah. rapidly trying to write a few notes down the things active around um, active listening around non, uh, non non-violent like, communication that was really yeah that's one of the two things that i picked up, but yeah, there's a lot of things for me now to go and look up and research. So thank you very much. We'll definitely do another episode around you know, the psychology and there'll be more coming up uh, in the future. So thank you for listening um, to everyone. You've been listening to Cube podcast. I am Ben Shanubi. Here's Andy. Say bye-bye. Hi. Bye-bye. <laughs> and, <laughs> we've got Martina <laughs> as well. Thank you very much for thank you listening. Very much. And and bye. We'll see you later. All right. Cheers. So look for. Oh, I'll no,
2: be fine. But,
0: I'll be fine. First of all, I really let me see your nails. I really like them. They're very mm. bright. Amazing.
2: Mine this one because this one's coming off.
0: Oh, <laughs> man! What you colour is why? that? Is that coral? You know
2: why? Yes.
0: No. Go because on. Because
2: I was sanding the bedroom um, wood and I took it off because of that. Sadly.
1: Uh, Joys of having a new house. Pretty much. Very much. Well. Very um, exciting. I'm just excited that I've managed to grow my. One of the good things about lockdown is that I've stopped biting. Don't nice.
0: know why.
1: Oh. Don't know why. It's fantastic. Yeah, but I've done it since I was a kid. So I'm not joking. I'm in my 40s and I have to learn how to cut my nails. <laughs> I, mean, I was like, I was like, this is a skill I don't have, and I didn't realize oh. <laughs> until I went to do it. Utterly ridiculous.
0: Oh, Andy, we love yeah. the innocence. Um can't be perfect.
2: It's never too late, Andy. That's that's the motto. Exactly, it's, it's a boring. learning journey, continuous improvement. <laughs>
0: yeah. So what? What we then? We'll say is um, for the for the last part, we'll just talk about um, what. The key aspects that make Agile and Scrum and Kanban important, and we'll go and we'll go through that. And it's just viewpoints; they don't have to be right, they don't have to be. Doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. They're viewpoints. I, um, I so think, yeah,
1: I, I think if there's something that's really important for me in this, I think it's it's getting that across that um, it is subjective, that there are lots of different opinions, and that it benefits from being an ongoing conversation. I think if we can manage to convey that. I, I think that would be really important, particularly for a lot of my contemporaries in the industry who just have this worry that they're like, I don't know, going into a really formal restaurant where they're going to use the wrong spoon and they'll get in trouble for it. That is kind of how they think about Agile, you know? That's they're a really, really good point. About
0: no, that is a like really that. good point. That, yeah. And I think hopefully with this, we'll be able to show that it, it's not that strict as people may think. There are loose frameworks that you can use, but you're able to adapt it to how it best fits in your organization. And I hope that that comes across. But yeah, today, um,